0: What is the goal of education? If you were to ask most Canadians, what is the goal of education? You would hear the same response, to get a job. Your parents probably told you that when you were in school too, or if you're still in school, they probably have encouraged you and said, you need to get a good education. If you don't get a good education, no one's gonna hire you. So keep going, get your A's, accumulate more degrees and certificates and diplomas because you need to get a job. Now, if you look at the handbooks that our universities and colleges put out, you'll notice something relatively modern, and that is that even our educational degrees are always linked to a career. This was not historically the case in higher education. You would earn a Bachelor of Arts, you'd study the Liberal Arts, you'd earn a Bachelor of Science or a Master's of Arts, and you may have a thesis that you write, or a series of courses that you take to channel your energies towards a degree, but there was a, there was a sense that a broad liberal arts, a broad, broad theological education, a broad education in the sciences was in and of itself a good thing. But now we have degrees specifically in nursing, a Bachelor of Science in nursing, a Bachelor of Science in engineering, a Bachelor of math, a diploma in interior design. So people go to school and they learn one subject in one area, and that equips them to be the community expert in whatever it is that they have studied. But it's interesting that if you look around our society, you talk to people, we have more degrees in this room than a thermometer. People have degrees and certificates, multiple degrees, multiple diplomas, We live in a very, very, very educated society. People have gone, go to school more now than at any point in human history, right back to the beginning. But as you talk with many people, you're like, man, you have a lot of degrees, but you're still, you're still kind of (laughs) stupid. You lack wisdom. You don't have true knowledge, a comprehensive view of life because we've been taught that education is primarily just, it's just a pathway to to a job. And as soon as you get enough education to get the job you want, you don't need to educate yourself anymore. In fact, education is kind of boring. It's kind of a drag. We just got to get through it and go through the motions in order to get into our careers. The strange thing too, we have a lot of engineers in our church. So I can tell you, I've heard this from many of them. They said, you know, we went to school for four years and, you know, we worked like crazy. And then we got a job and we realized we don't know anything. So now you're just learning on the job anyway. This is the state of modern education. And it's because we've been taught that education is almost exclusively a path to employment. Education equals a paycheck. But this is not a Christian view of education, the pursuit of knowledge, the pursuit of wisdom. And I'll use those terms interchangeably. Proverbs sixteen sixteen actually downplays the pursuit of wealth in education and up plays growth and just understanding and wisdom in life. It says there, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. So if you had your choice, should I go to school or should I get a lot of money? Most people would be like, well, I'm just going to go get a lot of money. But from a biblical perspective, learning to honor the Lord with your mind Having a comprehensive view of life in all areas is a blessing. Wisdom and understanding are blessed pursuits, whether you get the gold bars or the silver bars or not. Plus, the Bible also teaches us that to truly gain wisdom requires us to revere God. So at the center of our pursuit of knowledge must be a reverence for God. It says in Proverbs 1, 7, many of you have heard this, I'm sure. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of God, in other words, is the beginning of knowledge. Not a diploma. You can get a lot of diplomas and not be a wise person. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, if you contrast that to Romans 1, 21 and 22, What's the opposite? If you, if you live your life and you pursue knowledge, but you don't revere God, it actually affects this. It affects your mind. It affects your capacity to rationally think through the issues of life. Here's one of the consequences of sin. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise or so smart, they became fools. That's kind of like our culture. Oh, we're so smart. Oh, no, you're foolish. You're not as smart as you think. Because when you toss God out, all of the subjects that we have an interest in, in education, all the pursuit of knowledge, it all gets twisted and mixed up, or at least misapplied. We honor God, When we accumulate wisdom and knowledge as a means of loving him, to pursue wisdom or knowledge or education mustn't be reduced to just another pathway to make money. Even in Matthew 22, 37, when Jesus was defining what it means to love God, many of us in modern-day evangelicalism and even in our hymnology, it's just all about the heart. Just give my heart to Jesus. It's my heart, my heart, my heart. It's all about our emotional response. Now we're not anti-emotional. We're thankful for emotions. I'm a very emotional person in my response to life. But it says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, and he said to them, you shall love, which we usually think of as a heart word, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, let's say your mind is this big. You should still love him with your whole mind. If your mind is this big, you should still love him with your whole mind. Obviously, people have different capacities to think. But your responsibility is to love God with all of your mind, to think God thoughts, to process life from a God-centered world and life view. Without God at the center of our intellectual pursuits, our thinking is actually stunted. We become foolish. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Even if he has five PhDs and futile in our thinking. So the goal of education, knowledge, is to know God and imitate Christ in all of life. Not just on Sunday mornings, but to know God and imitate Christ in all areas of life. So why is it that we need a renewed outlook on education? Well, whoever controls education controls society. Controls the worldview, controls morality, controls who can teach in our universities, who can sit on the bench in our courts of law. And it also is true that the educational system controls the God we worship. If you go to an education, through an educational system, that says, ah, there is no God. Or falsely, we're just going to respect everybody's opinion and agree to disagree, and we're going to form something called a secular educational system. We're like, oh, that sounds fair. We want to be neutral on education, right? Is secular education neutral? No, it's ideological. You, you can't help but have some authority to which you appeal to teach anything. To even say, I'm an expert on, fill in the blank, requires an appeal to some authority. Well, who decides that you're an expert in biological science? Well, the textbooks, the other biologists. What if they got it wrong? What's the check and balance? What are the boundaries to the pursuit of scientific knowledge and the application of scientific knowledge, which is super important as well? You can do good science and then apply it wickedly. Well, so many Christians have failed to stand for a biblical view of education. And so while we churn out the degrees, many of us have graduated many times over, getting all these degrees in education. It's it's a sad fact that the more educated we get, the more chaotic, the more idiotic, the more bombastic the world gets. Just, there's so much nonsense in our world today. I'll use an example that you probably heard about from this past week. So down in the United States, our neighbors to the south, they're in the process of vetting President Biden's Supreme Court nominee. And they sit through days and days and days of questioning Ask questions about this, questions about that, try to get a feel for how much they know law, how much they are constitutionalists, and then they ask questions to try to figure out where's this person's ideology? Like where where do they stand on the ideological issues which always affect jurisprudence? So this particular nominee is asked a simple question. Can you define the word woman? And her response is, I can't, I'm not a biologist. Just get in the shower figure out pretty quick. (laughs) Like, this is not something you need any degrees for, actually. It's self-evident knowledge. It's just common sense. But there's two interesting things that I was thinking about when I heard her response. The one is, it's another example of the pillarization of education. So think of education as pillars. Instead of teaching people to have a comprehensive world and life view, you know, to have some knowledge of The art, some knowledge of the sciences, some knowledge of grammar, some knowledge of mathematics, some knowledge of life skills, how to balance a budget, how to mow your grass, how to wash your windows, how to cook a meal, which many, many people don't know how to do anymore. We've pillarized education. We live in the the age of the cult of the expert. I'm just going to go to school and I'm going to become an expert in immunology mathematics house construction architecture horticulture and how dare you if you don't have a degree and the certifications to ever step outside of your pillar and to maybe offer a little bit of medical advice or a little bit of a correction in a person's perspective on whatever it might be in life because you're not certified we live in the age of the call to the expert. How many times have I heard over the past couple of years people say to me, Aaron Rock just needs to stay in his lane. Just preach from the Bible. We don't need your thinking on whatever the cultural issue might be. You're not an expert. Just stay within the pages of the Bible. Usually you're hearing this from people have no respect for the authority of the Bible either. So basically what they're saying is just go away. Someone said to me on Twitter this week, shut up. Well, this is an example of the pillarization of education, but it's also a denial of observable reality. It's a denial of observable observable reality. So this is just one of many examples we could offer where we have someone who is an expert in law and jurisprudence to the point that she might be on The Supreme Court of a global superpower. Hey, what's a woman? I'm not an expert. I'm I'm not a biologist. This is the futility, uh, the futile mind that we see in the West. And we, we see it not weekly, not daily. It's like hourly now. You can hardly keep up on the foolishness that's being reported. So this is why I'm doing this topical sermon series called Nation Rebuilders, a Christian vision for Western civilization, because we need, among other things, to reclaim a biblical view of education if we're gonna see society turn back to God and to sustainable structures in economics, law, education, and so forth. Now, this sounds exclusivist, right? Oh, come on, We, we live in a country where there's lots and lots of people that aren't Christians. So why don't we just let everybody have their say? Why don't we sort of create a neutral playing field where everybody has a voice into education? Well, not only is it clear now that that's not happening, if you're a theistic thinker, if you actually believe that God created the world in six literal days, there's absolutely no way you're gonna get a job in the biological sciences at any university in Canada if they find that out about you you're out. If you actually think that God's laws should affect and impact our courts, our constitution, our bylaws, our federal laws, our criminal code, you're you're not gonna get, you're probably, you stand a good chance of being disbarred. So it's very exclusionary, it's very discriminatory. Godless people love to talk about discrimination. We're the most discriminatory people in the country. It sounds exclusivist, but here's the reality. All education, knowledge, is religious education. All of it. There's no such thing as spiritual neutrality anywhere in culture, in any subject. My friend Joe Boot wrote a book many years ago called Mission of God, and he includes a quote within it from T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot says, and I quote, "'We derive our theory of education "'from our philosophy of life.'" Your philosophy of life affects what you learn, what you believe, even how you learn, how you're taught, and who we permit to teach you. If you're a humanist and you're in charge of education, don't you think that's going to affect sex ed, biological sciences, your definitions of art, how scientific knowledge is applied and used, what its boundaries are in life? It will. Because if you're a humanist, your morals are fluid and absolutes do not exist. Absolutely, which is the irony of it. If you're an atheist, there's no point beyond the moment. So let's say you're working on some technology to solve a major world problem. But you know that whatever you're working on is going to take 30 to 40 years to figure out. You're not going to be here. Why would you invest your time and energy in designing something that you're not even going to reap the benefits from unless you just get paid really well? Well, Christians don't think that way. We invest in culture, we make our decisions, we sacrifice, not just so our lives can get back to normal, but we know that the fights we're fighting, the wars, we're, the wars that are raging around us, we may never reap the immediate blessings, but future generations will. We think about future generations as Christians. So we, we don't require a solution in the next 20 years to the crisis in Canada, we'd like it next week. But that's not what sustains us. We know that it's right. We are principled, not pragmatists. We're principled in why we do what we do. Our willingness to be fine, charge, go to jail, lose our jobs, be dragged through a knothole backwards in the news. We do that knowing full well that we're probably not gonna fix these issues in 20, 30, 40, or 50 years. This is a 100-year fight, unless Jesus comes back. But we do it because it's the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do and future generations will be blessed by it, just like our forebears who didn't even know our names, we don't know their names, went to war for us, were burned at the stake for us because it was the right thing for them to do when they stood for Christ, when they stood for the lordship of Christ over creation and culture. The source of truth and morality is God. You exclude him from the equation, and your IQ drops. Your body of knowledge becomes nonsense. It says in Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom. Again, wisdom is sourced in God. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then you have the Christian respond, Yeah, but that's talking about Bible knowledge. Oh, so no one had a brain cell before the Bible was written? God has always communicated to his creatures. And it was thousands of years before they received even the first book of the Bible. So we hold very high the word of God as the final authority in all matters of life and practice, but it's not the sole place to find anything that's truthful. Last week, we talked a little bit about art and science, and I used the illustration of Solomon, whose wisdom wasn't just divine, biblical information, but it included knowledge of all kinds of spheres of life. Let me read two verses from 1 Kings 4, 29, and then 30. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding. So that squares very well with Proverbs 2, 6, where again it says, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, the breadth of mind. He could think broadly about life was like the sand on the seashore. And then in verse 33, you think, oh, okay, he's talking about Torah law, his knowledge of the books of Moses or the prophets. Well, look what it says here. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. He had an expansive knowledge of all sorts of topics and subjects Within creation. See, all true knowledge and wisdom is sourced in, bounded by, and defined by God. And so, throughout history, many Christian thinkers have blessed the world around them. Not just by going up to people and saying, You're a sinner, you need to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and now you have your fire insurance. You're going to heaven, you're not going to hell. They did that, but they also blessed the world with their knowledge of other things. Think of the contributions that Christian thinkers have made to knowledge and social structures. Christians, for example, founded the first public hospitals. There were hospitals before that. They were called military hospitals. In the battlefield, you guys are getting killed wounded. You set up hospitals. But the first public hospitals were founded by Christians who did it as an expression of their care for the sick. Not so someone could put a 50-foot sign on the building and say, here's our healthcare heroes. Where's your cape? Because you're heroes, which does massage the ego. You're the heroes, the guy that lost his job, closed down his business, or went and hung himself in the backyard because he's so desperate. He's not a hero, but you're a hero. It's disgusting. But this is where it goes when medicine is not founded on a benevolent desire to bless others, but to seek attention and get a paycheck and be called a hero every day, get the bumper sticker to prove it. The first higher educational institutions, universities, they came about as a result of the education that took place in Christian monasteries. Which were primarily about religious education. When, you, when I say religious education, I'm not just talking about studying the creeds, the catechisms, and the Bible. Christian monks developed things like the modern beehive, they contributed to our understanding of grammar, they developed new species or new, not species, but breeds of animals. And out of their efforts, we had the rise of universities. Oxford University, of course, one of the oldest and most prestigious universities in the world. And while it is very godless, Oxford University, if you check it out, has in their rankings of degrees, they call them degrees that are ordered by virtue of precedence and standing. At the top of the heap is the Doctor of Divinity degree. Still is today. The doctor of divinity degree at Oxford University is first in precedence and standing on their degree list. Divinity is the old word for theology. Theology comes from two words, theologos, it means God's word. The study of divine things, that's divinity. And the reason why it was at the top and remains at the top is because historically in Western culture, we understood that without God, the whole house of cards crumbles. science, no longer becomes good science. You actually have godless people teaching nonsense in the form of Darwinian evolution. It's absolute nonsense. The only reason why Darwinian evolution is popular is because they know what the alternative is. But objectively speaking, if you actually study Darwinian evolution, it's literally nonsense. Christian, the first public schools in Canada were founded by Catholic missionaries in Quebec. Our laws were once, slash some still are, based on Christian laws. Remember that old idea of God-given rights? (laughs) Now it's human rights or whatnot. God-given rights, there are rights that the state doesn't grant, they're just innate, they're given by God. The state doesn't determine whether or not you can have children. The state doesn't decide or award you with the blessing of being able to worship your God this week. Those are God-given rights. In classical Christian education, which developed from the Middle Ages onward, they would study several, seven liberal arts as out of an understanding that you had, to, you had to be knowledgeable of a variety of subjects to function as a Christian. They studied grammar, logic, Rhetoric, argumentation, and verbal skills. Arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music. And when you taught these subjects, you you taught them in three increments. You started off with just downloading knowledge, just dumping content into the minds of little children, because little children, man, they, they can learn quick. Their ability to memorize scripture and just remember things is incredible. But your mind starts to change a little bit. So those early years, they would dump in the education. Then they were like, that's not enough. This is where modern education stops. We just dump information in. Here's your diploma, see you later. But the second step was your ability to debate it. So you'd practice debating and discussing with your classmates, your teacher. So they wanted to make sure that you actually knew and were connecting the dots between what you knew and how you live. And the third stage was your ability to communicate it publicly, to teach it. And that left people with a well-rounded view of life. We don't do that in education anymore. When I was in public school, I spent literally most of my time, I would say 95% of it daydreaming. And I regret it now, but as I processed it as an older guy, I think to myself, the reason why I was so disinterested is nobody made the connection for me between studying French and life. I'd love to learn French now, but I hated it when I was a kid. Didn't even know anybody it spoke French. Nobody said, hey, we're gonna learn this and here's why. Just here's the information, see you later. You'd sit in math class and your eyes would be like rolling over in your head and it's like, what is all this stuff? And, I, and now I wish I'd have learned more, but no one connected the dots for me. I remember when I was in Bible college and I was studying Greek The hardest part about Greek is I I was never taught English grammar. It's like, okay, we're going to teach you a declension of Greek participles. Okay, the problem with that is I don't know what a declension is and I don't know what a participle is. I knew what a noun and a verb was. That was about it. So it stunted my education. Well, in our world, let's take grammar for example. The ability to communicate, we study English. And when we study English, we learn vocabulary. And we also learn a lot of other things, what a participle is, what the aorist tense is. We learn about verbs and adjectives and articles. And we also learn about something called pronouns, Masculine pronouns, feminine pronouns, and neuter pronouns. And we learn those. Well, this is where education starts to crumble because in our culture, we teach English grammar, but all of a sudden, because of a ideology, pronouns don't mean really anything. You can actually make up your own. Zay said to me, Zay said to them, what does that even mean? So when you, when you take God out of the equation, there's actually one of the devil's choice tactics is he attacks our ability to communicate. God spoke the world into existence. The Bible is written. Before you can read a word of the Bible, you have to learn to read. You don't teach people to read. They have no access to scripture. You have to understand what a subject is, an object is. At least conceptually you do. Who's throwing the ball to whom? But all of that is tossed aside when God is stripped out of education and in a desperate attempt to make you feel better about your ridiculous choices. We're going to destroy grammar. And over time, you'll not, you, you will have a reduced capacity to even communicate with people, to communicate the word of God, to rebuke, to teach, to instruct. It's a demonic attack. So, The problem is, in response to all of this, many Christians have reduced education to simply the study of theology, to simply simply the study of divinity. And of course, we want to study that because it's core to everything. But Christians have essentially lost their voices in the broader culture because, well, yeah, you're right, I'm not an expert in that. I don't have the degree. God forbid if I speak a little bit of medical information. I mean, we should have slapped Paul in the, on the face when he gave some medical advice to Timothy. Wasn't qualified, wasn't certified. Should have asked Luke to do that. Christians have shied away from claiming any expertise in anything other than strict Bible content. Proverbs 20, verse 15 says, gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. That was back then. It's almost extinct today. Knowledge of God is going the way of the dodo bird. The psalmist, however, knew better, he said, teach me, this is Psalm 119, 66, teach me knowledge and good judgment for I trust your commands. Folks, we want to be good thinkers in relationship to our individual capacity. We want to be good thinkers. We want to have a broad understanding of life, but the problem is, is it because we have pillarized education and we no longer have any knowledge of science or mathematics or physics in the church, we don't talk about such things or political theory, we've pillarized our churches. And frankly, most of the modern Christian church today is actually anti-intellectual. They're, they're opposed to deep thinking. They're opposed to it. I'd go to Harvest, but they preach for 45 minutes in the entire week. People can't handle that. I can't think. Look, I just, I just spend a lot of time thinking all week. Probably mushy thoughts. I don't want to come to church because I don't want to think. I just want to get the God vibe going on. I just want to feel good about myself. Well, we're not anti-emotional, as I've already mentioned, but there's a problem when we prefer emotional We're not anti-emotional either. But there's a problem when we prefer emotionalism to truth or when we have a sentimental rather than substantive view of faith. Do you know how many Christians come into church on a Sunday morning and they literally think that faith is the opposite of facts? They see it as a different category. Faith is kind of like believing in something you know isn't true. It's a leap into the unknown. I just feel it. Well, faith is actually belief. And belief has a subject to it. And our faith has a direction to it. We're putting our faith in some things that happened in history. Some things that Jesus said. We're putting our faith in something. Faith isn't a leap into the dark, it's a leap into the light. Our faith is substantive. And of course, we also know of many different Christian denominations, probably over the last couple hundred years, that are actually willfully opposed to any academic pursuits. If you go to school, that's bad. You don't go to school, you just stay home. Well, I know there's a lot of corruption in education, but if we all just run and hide from all the different spheres of life that other people provide influence, how do we expect anything other than increased craziness? Because God's not acknowledged. Someone's gonna become the authority. So the center of education from a biblical perspective must be Christ. All of the subjects of education are within the context of a world and a universe that God created Language studies, in language studies, we study communication and we're gonna do something with that communication. And God puts the boundaries on how it's supposed to be used. In our study of the arts and the sciences and the physical world and even political science, we study it to know more of God, to understand more of our responsibility and our stewardship in the world. We don't just study things and learn and grow in knowledge for ourselves. That's when you become arrogant, prideful, You know, Solomon, he wanted to put his education into practice to govern God's people. And he understood this biblical concept, of course, written much later in the Gospel of John, John 1, 3 to 5, where we're told all things were made through him. This is Christ. And without him was not anything made that was made. And I love how the Bible sort of heads us off at the passive for trying to be like, well, does that just mean these things, churches and groups of believers? No, all things. Everything within creation was made by Christ. And without him was not anything made that was made. So that kind of locks it down. There's no exceptions to the rule. Then there's a moral implication in verses four and five In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is not a completely different topic here. Christ made all things and because he made all things, he establishes the moral boundaries. He defines what's right and wrong and calls light to shine into the darkness to dispel it. One cannot fully know anything then without knowing the source, the creator, of Everything. How can you study something that was created by someone and never acknowledge the someone? In fact, make yourself the someone or random chance the someone and expect to arrive at the right conclusions about that which you're studying. It's impossible. You're going to mess it up somewhere along the line. One cannot study creation without considering issues of light, righteousness, darkness, sin. We study, we seek education so that we can live rightly and morally and vertically in a broken world. I wonder how many of us were taught that in school. Here's why we're teaching you science. Here's why we're teaching you phys ed. Here's why we're teaching you how to cook. Here's why. You know, there's... Again, many subjects that I studied in school that I was so bored about because I didn't have a Christian world in life view. I was a Christian. There's a lot of Christians that don't have a Christian world in life view. I just thought it was pointless. Now there was some fun that we had in school. I remember on one occasion, we were dissecting a cat. Kind of fun. Pull a wet cat out of a bag. You dig into it, dissect it. And you do. some of you are grossed out. Um But this is what we did in grade 11 biology. I mean, it was grade 12 biology. I can't remember. Funny story, by the way. I remember we were in biology and prior to dissecting the cat, we dissected a big grasshopper that was from Brazil or someplace in South America. It was orange and black. And these uh, grasshoppers were distributed to each student. And one of the girls in my class was pretty grossed out by this. And I remember her, I was watching her she was trying to reach for the grasshopper. And she's like, uh, uh, uh. and then she set her fingers on it and immediately regretted it. And she just went and threw it in the air and it didn't land. It flew away. No, but we were literally like, Where, where'd that grasshopper go? And then we noticed it was hanging by its claws on the back of another girl's sweater. <laughs> and that created quite an uproar in biology class. So, you know, there was some fun to be had, some good times to make some friends and whatnot. But there wasn't a connection. Like, this isn't really important. That was my thinking. I just got to go read my Bible more so I can spend the rest of my life in holy huddles on Sundays. Well back to Solomon. Even Solomon, who was knowledgeable of the arts and sciences, studied in order to exercise his stewardship better, which was to govern God's people. So in 2 Chronicles 1, verses 10 to 11, he says to the Lord, it's a beautiful request. All of us should have made this request at some point in our lives. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and make a bigger paycheck. No, he doesn't say that. He says, "To go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Who am I? How do I know how to govern? How do I know how to pastor? How do I know how to teach? How do I know how to engage in horticulture? If I don't know God, if you, this is a blood, this is my stewardship." God answered Solomon, "Because this was in your heart and you've not asked for possessions, wealth, honor? or the life of those that hate you, and you've not even asked for a long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. That was his stewardship. God grants his request. Because even in his desire to understand what we would now call political science, the principles of governance, he's like, God, I need you to give it to me because this is my stewardship. And I want to make sure that I steward my role, my responsibilities well. That's why we say all truth is God's truth. That which we study and discover in horticulture, technology, medicine, all truth is God's truth. Likewise, all lies or misuse, misuse of the truth we've discovered in those subject matters stems from a rejection of God. God's no longer at the center. So think about this. I'll give you some illustrations. When horticulture is used to grow food and sustain populations, thumbs up. When horticulture, the knowledge of horticulture is used to grow plants that are specifically designed to get you stoned, to get you high. That's a misuse of the information. Someone was telling me yesterday that There was a particular program, I think, at the University of Windsor, maybe another college, where they were studying chemistry and they were learning how to make pharmaceuticals. And there was a whole group of guys that came in. They took the course. As soon as that unit was done, they all hit the bailout button. Because they went to learn how to mix drugs, illegal drugs, harmful drugs, to sell on the street. Same knowledge, some are using it to bless, some are using it to curse. We had another person over at our house this week, a young nursing student. When she was sent into her placement, they said, look, before you address people, ask them how they want to be addressed. Do you want to go by man, woman, what's your gender? Thinking, how does that work if a guy's going through cardiac arrest? Sorry, sir, we can't put the paddles on yet. Do you prefer to be called a guy or a girl? So this is how education has been affected by all these things. So horticulture, how about technology? Let's, let's suppose you develop technology, weaponry, for example, to defend your nation against lunatics. Well, that would be a good use of that technology, but not if you're gonna take it and go kill innocent people, maim and murder other people. Medicine can be a huge, we've all benefited from modern medicine. It's, it's a huge blessing. It's not perfect, but it's a huge blessing. They weren't doing open heart surgeries back in 1630. You just died. But if modern medicine and the discoveries of it are used for eugenics, we're going we're to develop you the perfect child. We're going to mix up in a bowl you know, the perfect ingredients and you're going to get your Down syndrome free, autism free, heart disease free, perfect child. That's wrong, that's playing the role of God. If you're gonna use modern medicine to abort babies or to offer, to to provide, or I should say to coerce forced medical treatments, that's where you're taking what God, the knowledge God has given to us and you're you're abusing it. And unless God's laws are placed around these disciplines as like a, a fence, boundaries, and there's a moral canopy laid over them, that helps us to understand how they can be properly applied and falsely applied, humanity will take the knowledge that they've received and they will use it for sinful practices. And we see this increasingly in our culture. So when we pursue knowledge, we have to pursue it with the purpose of honoring God and abiding by his rule book. If we don't, it's disastrous. So a God-centered education has a purpose. It's wise, it's benevolent, and it has, it's a boundary to education. There's actually rights and wrongs. They're like, yeah, you can use this, but not here. You can use this for this purpose, but you're, you can't use it here. No. You have to use it properly. So a couple points of direct application. Christ must be put at the center of our educational pursuits, and we need to teach our children this. One of the worst things a parent can do is to send the little child who, who doesn't have this, the abilities to debate or to think critically about issues or to communicate them. The, the, those kids that are still just sponges. As Vodi has said, I mentioned this in another sermon, if you send your kids to be educated by Caesar, don't be surprised when they come home as little Romans. When, when I was starting off in ministry close to 30 years ago, I was a youth pastor And uh, there were a lot of kids bailing out of churches back then. So the solution at the time was just hire a better youth pastor. Because if my kid's a drug addict or sleeping with his girlfriend, or has a blasphemous mouth, it's gotta be the youth pastor's fault. It's gotta be the youth pastor's fault. It's like, okay, parent, I have your kids for like an hour and a half or two hours on a Friday night you gave them to Caesar for 35 hours this week. How in the world, because they want their games and chips and pop, how in the world in a 20 minute message can I re-educate your children who've been indoctrinated in every subject matter with godless ideologies and how much more in this day and age? How much more? That was back in the 90s. How much more in this day and age do we see that? So time and time again, we have these you know, precious children that God has given to godly parents. And because we don't have an adequate view of education, we're just not taught this, we send our kids off to Caesar and they're taught Genesis 1 and 2 is just a myth. You just evolved from nothing. Biblical sexuality, that's it's a myth. But look at all the fun your friends are having smoking and token and all this sort of behavior. That's fine. You know, there's a time down the road when you can grow up and get your act together. Don't bother pursuing a job. My son, my middle boy, went to Villanova High School and he graduated in three and a half years and his guidance teacher met with him in his final semester. and said, what do you want to do? He's like, I'm going right into the trades. I want to start my own business. Like, the guidance counselor says, oh, Don't do that. Just travel Europe for six months or a year. Enjoy your youth. You know, that's the hedonism. Nothing wrong with traveling Europe. You probably might want to stay away from Russia and the Ukraine right now. <laughs> but this idea is, oh, just this is fun. You know, don't, don't, don't get on with life. Don't actually grow up too quick. Is that a problem in our culture? People. This guy's growing up too quick. Look at this girl. She's 20 years old and she actually has her own bank account. Her mom's name's not even on it. (laughs) This 25-year-old, he, surprise, surprise, he knows how to iron his own shirt. He actually has a job. Oh, he's actually thinking about getting married. I thought we just started thinking about that at like 38. (laughs) This is the world within which we live. Now, it's okay when you're older and more settled expose yourself to different kinds of education. I went to four seminaries. Actually, I went to six, but I graduated from four. And three of them were very conservative. I did a bachelor's, a master's, a doctorate. And then I went to another school later and earned another master's degree, studying preaching rhetoric. Kind of boring for most of you, but I think it's fun. And I was in class, the guy to my right, was on gay dating websites through most of the class. There was a Unitarian Universalist off to the right. We were in a supposedly Lutheran school, supposedly Christian school. Well, I wouldn't send an 18 year old to a school like that. Chances are you'd come out crazier than a hoot owl. But because I was able to go in and eat the meat and spit out the bones, my faith didn't reduce, wasn't reduced one, one notch. So if you're a mature Christian and you're taking advanced degrees at the University of Windsor or whatnot, you have a solid world and life view, and you can still benefit from it, have at it. But this notion that six-year-olds are missionaries in public schools is nonsense. They're not there yet. So remember what God, Jesus told us in Mark 9, 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea wow, Jesus should have checked his tone there a little bit. (laughs) But what's Jesus saying? He's calling out people who actually make decisions and destroy the faith of our next generation. How, literally, it almost makes me cry right now to think about how many young lives are being destroyed, not because their parents are bad people, but they don't have a Christian view of education and life. And we're going to lose our kids if we don't make that corrective. Refuse pillarization. If you are a Christian and you have the opportunity, become as knowledgeable in as many areas of life as you can. I don't really speak about this in public too much, but I I know how to build things. I've built a couple houses. I've restored a couple trucks. I I have a farm. I know how to handle cattle and on and on and on. And over the years, I've had many people say, I'm surprised. Like, you know how to change your own oil? And why is that? It's not a compliment to me. It's because they have a mindset that pastors are just theological weenies. That's all you study. You just stay in your lane. You know, God forbid, you can actually fix, fix your dishwasher. And so when I mentor young men, I'm always encouraging them. You don't have to be great in everything, but you should be interested in pretty much everything. Don't just focus on chemistry or theology or the visual arts, the broader your knowledge base, the more effective you're gonna be at interacting with a broad cross section of people, being able to communicate to all the different issues that we experience as a church. And frankly, it's just kind of fun. You know, to get, get out of your silo and live life a little more expansively until we change the way that people think, our nation will continue to crumble. I gotta say, I don't want you to leave thinking that if we can fix education and fix politics and fix, 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 that the world is somehow going to be Christian. I don't want you to think that. We need God's grace to descend upon us, discipline us, rebuke us, bless us, give us wisdom and insight, and do what we can't, cannot do. But at the same time, we don't just let go and let God. How many times have we heard that lie? Let go and let God. That's called a cop-out. Because God has called us to be salt and light. He didn't say to Solomon, when Solomon's like, you know, teach me wisdom and knowledge so I can govern better. (laughs) Solomon, that's not your job. Let go and let God. (laughs) He equipped him as his choice instrument to fulfill his stewardship. And that's what we're aiming for. We got here by lies. We've just been lied to. That's how we... We've got to the point that we're at in culture. So we get out by truth. We just keep preaching and teaching the truth and seeking to live it. And over time, I believe God will bless our efforts or Jesus will come back and it'll all be solved once and for all. But God will bless our efforts and we will be, a, we will be blessed and the nations and people around us will also be blessed. So let's think Christianly when it comes to the way we educate and pursue knowledge to the glory of God.